What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. All right, folks. You are locked on Falcons. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Freeman. I will be joined shortly by my co-host, Alan Sturk. Today, we are doing our rapid reaction to the Falcons' 36-20 win over the Seattle Seahawks in the divisional round of the playoffs. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, full disclosure before we get this thing started, we are recording this on a Sunday morning, the day after the game, so it's technically not unusual rapid reactions that we record right after the game. We've had a little bit more time to digest, so that should mean that we have better takes on this game than normal on this first show of the week, but uh, Alan, kick us off. For our usual listeners, it's going to be similar to the Carolina game from Christmas Eve. You want to look at it that way? Yes. So, yeah, I thought this was just an offensive masterclass. Uh, offense line really held up against the blitz, despite Atlanta still ran a fair amount of empty sets. I was a little surprised by that, given that I've seen the first matchups. CL ate that live in the first half. But Ryan, I think he got the ball in like 2.3 seconds. That was his average, which is, I think, much different compared to previous years. So that was obviously prudent. That one pass to Freeman where uh, – Freeman sent Steve Terrell's ankles to the hospital. That was just the way he read that. But and Anil Vitri literally blocked two men at the same time. I think it was Frank Clark coming in. He just held him up just enough time for Ryan to get the playoff. And, yeah, handled the blitz very well. And I think this game showed how well the receivers have evolved this season. I think every receiver, except maybe Aldrick Robinson, had at least two catches in this game. And it was very significant, each catch. And there being Seattle's corners left and right, from Gabriel to Sanu, obviously Julio and then Hardy. It's amazing what happens there when you have receiver depth, and I thought they really showed that. Absolutely. For any new listeners uh, and long-time listeners know that I've been complaining about the receiver depth uh, probably since we started this podcast back in 2013, I guess. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Alan. I think this was really a testament to how well the offense played to, to me. The big concern was going into this game was whether or not the offensive line was going to prevent them from being able to take advantage of Seattle secondary, which is good, but we have some potentially favorable matchups. We highlighted that in last week's show. We talked about Sanu versus Jeremy Lane. He was able to beat him uh, on a number of his big catches. Gabriel was able to beat both Lane and shed, um, and, and Julio was, we knew he was going to get matched up quite a bit with, uh, Richard Sherman. I thought, you know, given the degree of difficulty, giving up, you know, four catches for 47 yards and a touchdown by Richard Sherman is a relatively good game against Julio Jones, but obviously almost every single one of those four catches was a big catch in, in that touchdown where, you know, they, they really caught Sherman sleeping on that play. Um, so don't forget the penalty. Yeah, it's a really bad holding call, but I think it was him and Lane, so people forget. 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we knew we had favorable matchups there. It was just going to be a question of could the offensive line hold up and if give Ryan the time um, to to find those open receivers. And they did. I, you know, I thought early in the game, Ryan was holding on to the ball a little bit too long. I think there were moments in the game, and I stress the word moments, where it seemed like Ryan was sort of, you know, playing a little risk averse. Um and, and sort of not forcing some throws. I thought that one play that you mentioned to Freeman was probably his most, one of his bigger gambles of the game. Cause he just kind of saw the blitz coming and just kind of fading away threw it up, knew he had man coverage, but, uh, uh, just was trusted that Freeman was going to be there and he made the play. So I, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking Matt Ryan, but I, I do think there were instances where he was playing conservative and I don't fault him for that at all, given sort of his past um, experience in the playoffs. But overall, I think it was really a, a great performance by the off, offensive line, the offense in total. Everybody on the offense played well. Toby Lolo played well. Hooper had a, a couple of, didn't he have a, a one big catch in the red zone on the first drive, I think it was? Yeah, but it was pretty basic. It was just a simple out route. I yeah, yeah. Shan, Shan's play design to really exploit the cover three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like, yeah, what you were saying. With Shanahan, I think he was able to utilize everybody on the entire offense. That's what, that was the point I was getting to. And, um, you know, I think it was the running game was effective. Uh, you know, Coleman was successful running the football, probably one of his better games he's had this season running the football. Freeman, um, had a pretty good game, you know, had the big catch, had a couple of nice runs interspersed in there. So the Falcons were, didn't run, focus too much on the running game, but they were able to be effective when they did decide to run the ball. So overall, you know, a pretty, you know, close to flawless performance from the Falcons offense. Any gripes are just minor issues from like that play didn't work or that play didn't work, but I'm probably not going to count more than one hand's worth of, of plays. We're, we're talking about that. So, how about Coleman averaging five yards a carry and his longest run was only 15 yards? So you could tell it was sustained success. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had, I think he had like two seven yard runs and, and yeah, he had a, he, it was a very good game for Tevin Coleman. I think the interior offensive line was able to open up some holes. Chester, Levitri, Mac all had really good games in the run game. I think, you know, I thought Jake Matthews had a little bit of issues with speed early on in the game, but for the most part, you know, that's just, again, that's nitpicking like one or two plays where he, he got beaten. I think Schrader did an excellent job. Averill didn't have a, a big impact. I think Clark had a sack late. Bennett had a couple of pressures. I think Ruben had a couple of pressures, but for the most part, offensive line performed as, as well, given the degree of difficulty um, that we'll see um, this season, I think. Yeah, I know you were getting on my case a bit about the offensive line and how many sacks they've allowed. And look, obviously they've not been perfect this year, but I still think the opposition they've gone against has affected them from that sense of terms of allowing sacks I know I think they allowed 37. Like, this is a really good unit when they're on. And, of course, they had a couple of blemishes this season. But you could tell when they're cohesive and they're reading blitzes and the tackles are holding up, this could be a really good unit. And if they could do this against Seattle, I think they could do it whether it's against Green Bay or Dallas. No, I, 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 think, I, I think you're not wrong with that. I guess my point that I didn't say on Twitter when I was being too snarky to you um, – is I do feel like they've had some, the reason why they've 
had that high numbers is because of the quality of defensive lines they face. We knew that going into the season. It was one of the reasons why, um, at least in my case, it was one of the reasons why I wasn't that optimistic about the offense playing at that high a level because I figured, you know, you were going to face some of the best defensive lines in the league. And I think those lines have given us trouble in some of these games, Carolina, Philadelphia, um, you know, San Diego, San Diego, Kansas City, um, and the first Seattle game. And to a lesser extent, Denver, um, mainly just Von Miller um, in that game. But, like, it's when we face good defensive lines, not to say that we struggle, but there are some issues. There are some limitations. And the concern, that was one of the reasons why I was concerned about this game because it's like, okay, now Seattle has Clark back. They have Averill, who we know has done good work against um, Schrader and, and Bennett. As well, and then the other pieces like Ruben, who I know you said was an underrated player, he ended up having a sack. Um, so that was the concern. But I think given how well the offensive line, but like I said, um, you know, in terms of facing a good defensive line, I think you can make the, a strong case that this was the best performance the offensive line has had all season, given, you know, the quality of, of talent that they were facing. And um, I think they certainly deserve all the credit in the world for that um, across the board, any, you know, again, any issues are just a couple of nitpicks here or there, like two plays for Matthews, two plays for Chester, one play for Schrader or whatnot. So nothing big. I actually thought Ryan was responsible for at least two of those sacks. I can't remember Bennett's sack off the top of my head, but I remember Ruben and Clark. Like Ruben, I remember they were trying to run a screen, but I think Toyolo got the play messed up. Uh, for some reason, Gabriel and Ryan were off on a few plays. You saw that with the screen that could have been picked. And then there was another player, Ryan. I think it was a play where Shed got injured. Uh, Ryan, like, totally overthrew him, but I think Gabriel mistimed the route. And then with Clark's sack, I, th- I still he stepped to He could have easily just jolted outside the pocket, but he, I don't know, he tried to step up and uh, went right into Clark. And he actually fumbled on that play. Could They caught a few breaks. There's no denying that. Between the Russell Wilson's overthrows, which I'm sure we'll get into, and uh, them not turning the ball over, there's definitely a couple of breaks. But at the end of the day, obviously, they execute. That's the whole point of playing football. You execute, you make plays, and they did that. So it's a thoroughly deserved win. But at the same time, there were some nervy moments, especially with that uh, Frank Clark strip sack. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, You know, Seattle is not a crappy team. You know, they deserve to be in the playoffs, and they were going to have some opportunities. Uh, They didn't quite take advantage of the opportunities that – I think the Falcons sort of gave them at, at points in the game, particularly in the second half where they had an opportunity to sort of really jump back into the game. Um, you know, that's both a testament to the Falcons and the, uh, I guess the opposite to Seattle not doing their job. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't a perfect game, but um, I, I think it, overall, certainly, you know, it, this is the issue with the offense. It's like because they're so good, we have to sort of nitpick like a couple of things here or there because it's just like, yeah, it's just they're so good. Yeah, some people were kind of dismissive of Ryan's performance, but I think people need to realize, look, it's still Seattle. It's still going to be a brawl the whole game. It's this team still have so much talent, both sides of the ball. Like Ryan missed a few throws, but at the same time, look, Ryan threw three touchdowns. He was very composed. There wasn't any play besides the miscommunication with Gabriel where I thought he should have been picked off. But there was no uh, head-scratching moments from Ryan. Yeah, I think he missed Audrey Robb, someone play that going for 20 yards. But other than that, 
very good performance by him. And I just want to talk a little bit more about the receivers because you could tell Gabriel's return, how much it changes the dynamic of that offense. Like, man, some of those plays, whether it was going against Shedder Lane and then him in open field, like obviously Steve Terrell was on the receiving end of some brutal cuts, but all oh, Gabriel made him look silly in the open field. And he just brings that explosiveness. And I think another thing you give credit to Gabriel is, couple catches on third down but they he had to make some tough adjustments too and he had to go down to turf corral it like you don't know gabriel is this player that can make these tough catches and he sure made them yesterday yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm I'm trying to think of what else i could add to that but uh i think you just see more from gabriel and his repertoire people just know him as his explosive speedster some label him a gadget player, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think he's a natural receiver that could win against man coverage. I think you saw that right after he beat Brent Grimes pretty badly in that game a few months ago. So to me, I think this is a statement performance from Gabriel that like, this is a player that you can rely on week in, week out. Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to when, when Bernard Reedy was in Atlanta back in 2014 and people were very high on his potential in Atlanta. And I remember that was same. That was Gabriel's rookie year in Cleveland as well. And I, I remember watching Gabriel after, um, after that season, once we hired Shanahan um, and sort of seeing Gabriel was a natural receiver, as opposed to Reedy, who was tends to be a little bit more of that gadget player and I think you're you're seeing the difference between those two. You don't find very many five eight receivers um, that are complete receivers. Um, and you know it's it's like you know these guys under five foot ten. It's like Wes Welker, Steve Smith, and, and the list isn't much longer than that. Um, and uh, you know you, you can make a strong case that Gabriel also deserves to be into that group, and uh, he's been showing it throughout the season. That's why, you know, I joked on Twitter during the game that he's he's the best number two receiver in the NFL. Because I, I think really he is the, the number two receiver, even if he doesn't get the playing time. Well, can we at least talk about the best number four wide receiver in the NFL? <laughs> yeah, let's do Accord that. to you. But um, how about Muhammad Sinu making some tough catches in traffic? That play against Jeremy Lane. Oh, man, I couldn't believe it. I thought that was Ryan's best throw of the game by far. That was a really impressive throw. Are you I think about that was, corner route? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That was and that was on the 99-yard drive, which, once again, to put 99-yard drive on the Seahawks, like they did that against the Panthers. I think they had a 99-98 yard drive in the, the week four game. And now to do this against Seattle after Eric Williams basically had the entire city of Atlanta rip their hair out. <laughs> and and I think what I saw with crazy stats, they didn't have a one third down on that drive, which once again, like there are so many statistics statistics that you could bring up with this Falcons offense, and I think that's one of the biggest ones. The fact that they, they're so good that they avoid third downs. Is that true? I know they didn't have a third down on like their first drive. I'm gonna clarify that tomorrow, but I remember seeing that tweet. Okay. And, okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll definitely clarify it tomorrow, but I remember just they were keep. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm actually looking at it right now. You're right. Okay, cool. Like, they just kept pushing it, and a lot of it was short to intermediate throws, but at the same time, and I think they ran a little no huddle on that drive, and I thought Sanu's big catch set the tone. I agree with you. I, I think that was a, a flaw. You know, it's, it started off a little rocky, but, um, you know, they hit Sanu on that play. Gabriel, I think, had a big catch, and I think they hit Sanu again. 
and Joe. And, and we, we talked about it. Like Shed was probably going to be a little bit more of a favorable matchup for Sanu. Um, I think both of Sanu's catches on that drive were against Lane. I know that big catch that you're referring to, Alan, um, definitely was against Lane. And it, it's just a little bit, you know, that's that's part of the whole genius of uh, Shanahan, getting different guys in, in favorable matchups and, and Matt Ryan being out there on the field, taking advantage and knowing exactly what he wants to say. Okay. Lane's on Sanu this time. This is a situation that he can win. And, and you're right, Matt Ryan, that was, you know, I think uh, I, I wouldn't disagree if that was the best throw that he had all game. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I think Sanu deserves credit for uh, making a couple of big catches. I, I think, the story of the game was the Falcons were able to spread the ball around to all their playmakers. And, um, that, that includes Muhammad Sanu, the, the best number four receiver in the NFL. How about the Falcons that are three for three on phase this year? Yeah, I saw you. I saw you. Is that, is that, a, did you confirm that? Or is that just like, I'm per- when do they call fades? I mean, I true. mean, it's, it sounds, it sounds right, but I just didn't know. I, I saw you tweet it during the game and I was like, I, it's, like uh, it's probably they true. They never fades. They did Julio against New Orleans, Julio against Tampa, and now Sanu. It's good to see them use Sanu in the Reds. I've been talking about it all year. And see him get that fade and Brian threw it perfectly. Got a lane at position, and it worked. But, man, before we get into defense, can we just quickly mention how chippy that game was? Like, I gave praise to the officiating crew. Like, they could have thrown at least seven flags just based on all the talking and shoving. Like, I thought Freeman got away with the one on KJ Wright. I was like, oh, man, he's pushing it. Like, he really just gave him a nice – I don't know if it was a forearm, but he it was a hard shove. And props to the officiating crew. They know it's playoff football. Unless someone throws a punch, let him play. I agree. I, I, you know, I know people were questioning the uh, officiating throughout the game. I, I, I got a bunch of Seahawks fans in my mentions after the game um, questioning the officiating. I thought the offici- it was a reasonably well-officiated game, given the very low standards that we have set the bar in, in 2016. <laughs> but um, it was by no means a perfectly officiated game. But there was nothing, no sort of bad calls that were, like, glaring like we, you know, particularly like we saw in the last game. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure Seahawks fans were upset with basically all of Devin Hester's <laughs> great plays getting called back on, on penalties and whatnot. So I'm sure they were mad about that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Alan. I think the the officials, you know, they, they may not have gotten a bunch of calls right at the moment, but they, they got them right upon review. Um, the, the Jalen Collins touchdown, um, the drop by Hardy on the sideline. They got him right. So can't get if, if they get him right in the end, you can't really get too mad at it. Yeah. It seemed like everything was involving the Falcons receivers against the Seattle secondary and then the Falcons O-line against the Seattle D-line. The other side of the ball, there was basically nothing. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty fair. Yeah, it was a very chippy game. Uh, Michael Bennett tried to blind uh, Ryan Schrader. On the, yeah, the, he, he lost his mind. There's no denying Michael Ben lost his mind that game. Like, def- there was at least four plays where he tried starting a fight. Yeah, he he definitely I lost. Ben, I do. I look. I I like Michael Bennett too. It doesn't change my opinion of him, but he definitely lost his composure in that game. Yeah, just, then the whole kneel down, just then trying to go at it. It's like guys. It's, it's in the day, go tell your 
front office to invest in offensive line, which I'm sure now we'll get into. <laughs> the Falcons, I don't know how many times they ran a stunt or a twist in that game, but it seemed to work almost every time. I thought I saw on Pro Football Focus they said they ran it 13 times in the second half on 25 plays, and they got pressure on nine of those 13. I think that's the number I saw. Well, there you go. If that's not a sign that your offensive line's in shambles, I don't know, especially going up against the likes of Courtney Upshaw and Brooks Reed. And I will take this time now to say the Brooks Reed prediction did come true. <laughs> <laughs> the Aldrick Robinson one did not. But, uh, yeah, the Brooks Reed one, you nailed that one. Yeah, just, hey, man, George Font getting people paid, I guess. I don't know. I, Brooks Reed already got paid, but you get the idea. It's just between the spin move, the ball rush, his one sack did come on. It was unblocked. I think it was a five-man rush. I think uh, Gilliam we'll might go it. pick up Campbell. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we'll yes, we'll yes. take all the sacks we can get with the Falcons. Especially against Russell Wilson. Not that Wilson, once again, he's a problem to bring down. He, his pocket presence is second to none. He was reading a lot. Uh, there was times where Beasley and Freeney got good pressure, and he just stepped up in the pocket, kind of like what Rodgers does. And Kind of, and we just mentioned Rodgers, whether it's him or Prescott, they're going to have to, I don't know if they got contained. Well, first time we're going up against stud offensive line, but at the same time, you could <laughs> saw they, they kept, it was similar to the Green Bay game. They just kept rushing from the outside, and Wilson kept stepping up in the pocket. And eventually, I think I think Wilson had like six runs yesterday, and I felt like almost every one of them went for at least eight to ten yards. Yeah, well, you know, as far as Green Bay and Dallas, it was nice to see the Falcons get pressure in this game because they probably won't get one next week. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think if, if, you know, the thing I would praise the defense most for is getting pressure in the second half. They took advantage of a bad Seahawks offensive line. Um, and once the game got, you know, out of, out of hand for the Seahawks. They got behind the uh, Falcons were able to pin their ears back and get after Russell Wilson. I think you're right. Wilson did handle the, the pressure uh, much more depthly um, than he has for much of the season. And uh, you know, that's a, that could be a testament to his knee and ankle and all the various leg injuries and punishment he's taken this year, sort of uh, healing up, but it, it wasn't enough. And I think the Falcons got enough pressure. I, you know, I would have loved to see, Wilson on his backside, you know, 12 times, um, if counting all the times that they were, you know, they had him dead to rights and he sort of stepped out of the pressure. But uh, with this defense, you got to take what you can get. And I think that was the strongest aspect of the defense in, in conjunction with, um, I thought the coverage and the tackling were reasonably good. Uh, we knew that we would give up a couple of plays to, you know, Richardson got behind the defense a couple of times. Um Baldwin, you know, got away from Alfred a couple of times, but, uh, you know, there was, there was a couple of times where, um, you know, Wilson had a big play and missed the throw, but, um, yeah, you know, baby steps with this defense, right? Yeah. According to PFF, Wilson was four of 13 under pressure and that interception on Carter Allen obviously was under pressure. He took mm-hmm. two sacks as well. So it goes to show you pressure creates turnovers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, that's, I think that's been the theme that we've been talking about quite a bit on the show, particularly as of late, as you know, a lot of that has been in defense of Ricardo Allen, but, um, you know, I think our, our secondary, our, our back seven, essentially, I think is fine. Um, if we can get more pressure up front. And I think this game is a microcosm of, of that belief system. So, um, 
Uh, yeah, kudos to the to the Falcons defense for you know proving me right. I guess to a certain extent. Yeah, and they have to blitz a lot either. I know obviously the reads that came for blitz, but I think they only blitz like six or eight times. They just put enough confidence in their secondary, which I don't know. To me, I thought the secondary kind of underperformed. I thought they were, especially against a average Seattle receiving corps. Uh, I don't know. There seemed to be a lot of breakdowns. Maybe because maybe because Wilson kept running in like eight I th- seconds. Yeah, I mean, I, that that was sort of what I was expecting to happen. So I, I guess part of it is because I sort of expected some of these breakdowns to happen. They didn't really shock me to the degree that they seemed to surprise you a little bit. But yeah, to me, I expected there to be times where Richardson would get behind us. And, you know, a couple of times he did make the play. Uh, uh, you know, Baldwin almost had that bomb at the start of the fourth quarter that could have potentially changed the game. Wilson was able to step up in the pocket and almost hit Baldwin in the red zone uh, at the end of the third quarter. But thanks to the great Jonathan Babineau getting in his face, he had to throw it high as opposed to um, forcing it, you know, uh, throwing it an accurate pass and it was overthrown. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the secondary, you, we could probably sit here and, and say the secondary didn't have a, a great game, but I think they had a good enough game, particularly um, given the, the turnovers that they had. Is there anything you could take credit for, Aaron, is I know you mentioned playoff experience on the last episode. And how about Chris Chester and Jonathan Babineau? Big-time performances. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Charles said it best. He looks spry. There was that one play against George Fon. He just used a swim move and brought down Rawls. Obviously created a bunch of pressure. Guys well deserved sacked, albeit coverage sacked at the same time. I don't know. He looked like he was 27 out there. It was unbelievable. It's like he saved it all for this moment. Yeah. I mean, he, he played well against New Orleans, so it, it seemed like he was lying in wait, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, so his last two games have been the two best of, of his season and arguably probably the two best out of, out of his last, I don't know, 25-ish games. So. Ooh, I thought last year he had his moments. That's probably fair. I'm 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 blanking on the last <laughs> great ba- Jonathan Babineau moment because it's been so long, at least in my mind. Because it's usually only I only have to wait two weeks, but it's been like 16 weeks or something like that. So, yeah, I thought him, Deion Jones, and Ricard Allen were standouts yesterday. Yeah, because I thought Allen, man, he was throwing some big hits, and obviously he had an interception, albeit it was pretty much a gimme. But, but I thought he made his presence felt more than usual. I, yeah, yeah, they moved him around a little bit more than normal because he wasn't just basically parked in in that center field spot as much. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to go back and, and see how much it was on the All Twenty Two, but it was at least a couple of plays that stood out to me that he was not playing his usual center field role. Before we wrap this up, I just want to talk about the whole complexion of the game because that first drive. Let's be honest, it got scary. They were nine-minute drive, I would say, about 14 plays. 18 and a half minutes, yeah. Eight and a half minutes, I'm sorry. Oh, did you imagine 18 and a half? <laughs> it seemed like it. Yeah, and it was just kind of weird because it kind of reminded me of the Arizona game where Arizona, the first two drives, looked unstoppable. And then once Atlanta started creating pressure, the defense kind of turned the table and 
it worked out in the end. And offense, like it was an efficient offensive performance where Dane generated a whole ton of big plays, but it was mostly short to intermediate stuff. And then the defense, once they started creating pressure, you saw Seattle was a bit riled and they couldn't get their main piece going, which obviously was Thomas Rawls, and everything worked in Lance's favor. Well, for me, my perspective, and I know people are going to roll their eyes because I'm not going to give the defense as much credit as they think it deserves, but I thought the defense got a big help from basically Seattle abandoning the run. Um, I think that was a conscious choice on Seattle's part. With uh, You look at that first drive, 14 plays, eight of those were runs, six of those were passes, six of those eight runs were to Thomas Rawls. Rawls touched the ball twice on the next 12 plays in the first half for the uh, Seahawks. Um, with, I think, of maybe six of those were maybe five or I can't remember the number. Uh, maybe there was an even run pass split, but it was a lot of more Alex Collins and, and, than Thomas Rawls. And then by the time after that point, once the second half started, the Falcons were already up 16 points. And, and so at that point, Rawls was no longer a factor. And I think Seattle executed exactly what – that first drive was exactly what Seattle wanted to – what in all their drives to look like eight and a half minutes, run the football, control the clock and uh, keep Atlanta's offense off the field. And I think they quickly abandoned that right after that. Once Atlanta went right down the field and sort of matched them. So um, I think that was more a testament to this, you know, the poor decision-making by the Seattle offensive coaching staff, more so than great play from the Falcons defense. The run defense still deserves some credit because I believe Rawls had six carries for 29 yards and then just five carries for five yards. And I thought Reed and Babadil made notable plays. The Reed's beating Jimmy Graham forced that bizarre safety, which I don't know how that happened, but opportunistic defense, I guess, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, look, they did step up after that point. I, I don't think they were amazing by any means. I think the offense deserves most of the credit for taking the running game out of it. But look, they didn't. They weren't terrible. So uh, you know, I think they um, they got some some penetration. They got some disruptive plays, which is what you sort of need. Um, that's the best way to slow down a running game by making teams hesitant to to run the ball when they're losing yardage. Because um, it puts their passing game in less favorable situations. It's weird. Rawls only had 11 carries. Wilson only had 30 pass attempts. Like, it just goes to show you how much Lance controlled the clock. Because obviously, what I've been saying all week is that Rawls, if he, they limit him to 12 to 15 carries, if Wilson throws over 35 times, there's a really good chance Lance could win this game. And neither of them hit the total, yet Lance still won pretty comfortably. Well, I mean, to be fair, six. Wilson had six scrambles and he was sacked three times, so he did drop back thirty nine times. Oh, okay, there you go. Thank you for that. That's a that, that's a great point. I didn't take that into consideration. So, once again, that's the recipe. It's interesting that Atlanta they controlled they took over the game in the second quarter compared to their usual third quarter greatness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think um, it was a very enjoyable, very entertaining game. Uh, I thought, you know, it was, I, you're right, I think it was a little nervous at the beginning because it seemed like Seattle was able to um, do what they wanted to do. And then there was a point later in the game, as I mentioned earlier, with the, the overthrows that Wilson had where, you know, that left 11 points um, off the board with the the overthrow to Baldwin. They settled for a field goal. Then he missed the, um, the 
um, the overfold for Baldwin in the end zone, and then he missed the the deep pass to Baldwin where he he got by Deion Jones, and, and Neil was in center field. That's one of the reasons why I mentioned Allen not playing as much center field. Um, and then you have the Devin Hester kickoff return that was called back. And then that led to the safety and that, that safety was sort of the chain turning point for the Falcons. That's when the, everything started to go in the Falcons favors and everything started going against the, um, the Seahawks. And I guess, yeah, you can give the run defense some credit for <clears throat> getting the stop on the, on the first down. And then the great Ben Garland, um, you know, terrorizing uh, Reese Oyambo, um, <laughs> who is, you know, not having a great Sunday morning in Seattle today from a really poor performance from him. I think he meant punt return, by the way. Was it a punt return? Oh, I'm sorry, whatever. Yeah, not kickoff return. Well, he had like four good kickoff returns too, so it was easy for me to to, yeah. to confuse him because uh, special teams, not, not the strongest performance from them. You mentioned Baldwin between him being offered and Wilson probably should have thrown him more outside rather than inside. That's why uh, Baldwin couldn't catch it. Carl Allen was steaming in, could have laid a big hit between that. And then, yeah, it was weird. I think Poole ran a corner blitz and that left Jones covering Baldwin. It kind of reminded me of Curtis Lofting against Percy Harvey, yeah. which didn't end well when those teams played back in 2011. Those are two nerve-wracking moments where you expect Wilson to make that throw. And, Bowen could have had three touchdowns. That's why I thought the secondary. And obviously, look, Jones isn't a part of secondary, and I don't want to blame him. Some of it was schematic issues. But there were some breakdowns. Obviously, Poole had a couple issues, although that one throw to Paul Richardson. Man, Paul Richardson's ball skills. This guy knows how to make plays in traffic. Yeah, yeah. Like, Poole's right hand was all in there, and he still pulled it down. I mean, I, like uh, Richardson almost hit his quota of like three amazing catches that, um, in the, the the one got um, called back because he he hit the ground. But uh, you know, we knew that he could make some plays, and he and he did, uh, or or nearly did. So yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying about the secondary. I, I just thought, given my expectations, I, I knew Graham would would make some plays. I knew. Alford would struggle a little bit more with Baldwin than he uh, than Trufant did. You know, he probably struggled a little bit more than I I wanted him to or expected him to. And there were a few breakdowns where Wilson should have you know maybe hit those throws, and it, we would be having a different conversation right now. But uh, I don't know. Graham only caught three passes, and there were only three, he only got three targets. It's kind of weird. I want to see what the defense. To take my game. Well, I think happened partially was that he had a chip because I remember he chipped Beasley quite a bit in that game. So I think he's kind of reduced in that offense where the offensive line just they need all the help they can get. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that that sort of helped us out quite a bit where they, you know, they they got behind in the game and, and it basically completely screwed over any chance they had to win because, as you said, Alan, they're not a team that's built to play from behind. And Luke Wilson got concussed. That's bigger than most would consider, considering that Wilson's their blocking tight end. He's their number two. I think Graham was the only other healthy tight end, so I think that's why he had to block a little bit more. Obviously, we'll see on the all 22, but it was just weird to see Jimmy Graham not really have much of an impact after that first drive. Yeah. So, And I think another thing I wanted to point out, maybe it's just off a few plays. I, maybe I should label it, but it seems like Alford 
isn't good at tracking deep passes. I saw this year, although Therese kind of blew it, I thought Evans' touchdown he was partially responsible for. If you remember week one where he just kind of lost track of the ball. There was another touchdown against Evans on Thursday night where he didn't turn around. And then on the big play of Richardson, which he did drop in the end, but I thought just once again offered, he was in position to make a play, and he just lost track of the ball. You just noticed that with him a bit. Yeah, I mean, and you you can argue a couple of the dumb penalties he's had earlier in the season were on a couple of deep throws. I remember um, Jermaine Curse. Yeah, and then the one that wasn't called a, a few plays earlier, where he got beat by I can't remember who the receiver was, and he sort of swiped at him at the last second. They didn't throw a flag, but I, I remember people going like, mm, "That was that." There was your patented Robert Alford uh, flag play, and then he I think he got it like two plays later. So, um, yeah, there's there's a couple. That's that may be a fair statement. That'd be something worth investigating deeper or paying attention to. Hey, we always talk about how when the Falcons got to stop, it's a huge. When that tackle on Doug Ball on third and yeah, that was that, that was, was the, a great tackle. That that's probably one of the reasons why I was like, the, I thought the secondary did good because that play stands out, and I do remember the the int from Allen, and and that was Keanu Neal got pressure on that play, put a nice hit on on. So it's probably like three positive things that are sort of clouding all the the breakdowns um, from my perspective. So you might be right on that. I also want to give a shout to Jalen Collins with those ridiculous balls because I, th- I thought the play was down. Uh, like, I don't know, maybe that was the one blunder by the fish anchor, but look, the game was over at the time, so I don't think it's going to spark much outrage. But at the same time, we talk, Dan Quinn always talks about Jalen Collins' length, and that play couldn't have shown it better. Yeah. Those arms were just flailing. I was like, what is he doing? And it just ends up in Deion Jones' hands. Deion Jones... Knows how to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's made a habit of what the wasn't the pick six, um, on New Orleans. Wasn't that a deflection on on by pool on that play? No, that was deflection. I think Collins and Campbell closed down. I want to say it was Richardson. Okay, maybe it was another pick you had this year. I thought he had a. I'm talking about against San Diego where Rivers missed McCluster and uh, Keanu Neal laid a vicious hit and Jones picked it off. Pool happened against New Orleans. Okay, that's why. Okay, I was thinking there was there was one time where Pool jumped. Uh, like Pool had gotten beat on like a, a rub route by uh, I think it was Thomas, and then the next time they tried to run it, Pool jumped it and then Jones picked it off and took it to the house. That's what I thought happened, but I know your memory is better than mine. But anyway, we should probably wrap up soon, right? Yeah, yeah. This is getting pretty long for a rapid reaction. Okay, so all right, we can wrap up here. So, yeah, overall, one for the ages, I guess we could say. Especially Arthur Blank's dancing at the end of the game, which I know Aaron, you didn't take much love for, but let Arthur Blank live. Look, I, I'm, 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 I'm happy. The, the elation and the joy that Arthur Blank is showing, I'm great, but like. When people are be- dancing that poorly, it it makes me cringe. Like I, I just, I I'm too empathetic, and I just like how how can you not be embarrassed watching it? But it you know it's a great moment, and certainly he was he was dancing with the exuberance of an owner that is truly feeling you know this team being a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Unlike past years where they said they were but didn't play like it. So, what was that infamous Arthur Blank quote? Is the evil of great? 
Good is the enemy of great. Okay. Close enough. Close enough. I, I figured that that was a good quote to use because I do remember that. I think that was the press conference after I lost to the Giants. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And poor Mike Smith was just looking into this ceiling like, yeah, I got work to do. Otherwise, I'm not going to have a job soon. Good times. Good times. Shout out to Mike Smith, man. Defensive coordinator. Keeping the job alive. It should be the San Diego, or I'm sorry, Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, you already got that wrong. Unbelievable. So Yeah, I'm going to keep getting it wrong. And where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Falk fans on Twitter. Alan, where can people find you? Alan underscore Sturk. It's A-O-O-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. Tomorrow we're going to give you a full breakdown of this game. We'll touch on more things. We'll talk a little bit more about Julio, I thought. We didn't give him enough attention, but look, it's Julio. Everyone talks about him, but we'll get into it more. He did get injured, which I'm sure to probably mention Adrian Claiborne, bicep injury. Whenever someone suffers a bicep injury, I don't think that's good. Like You get that nervous feeling like, oh, boy. Because especially when you can't return, it's like it has to be significant. So I don't know, we'll see. They're going to need him against whether it's Dallas or Green Bay. So, yeah, we'll get into all that tomorrow. We're going to have one of our favorite guests on, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Yep. No, we'll be back tomorrow, guys. Uh, more scorching Falcon takes. Good ones. Yeah. yeah. We didn't even talk about Levine Toilolo. That's we, something we got to get into. We will talk about him tomorrow. The great legend of Toilolo. <laughs> A lot of noteworthy plays. <laughs> Everybody's favorite play. players were outstanding against Yeah, Ricardo Allen, Le- Levine Toilolo, Chris Chester, Jonathan ba- Babineau. Brooks Reed, all these punchlines. I know. Just need that Courtney Upshaw moment, boy. And do. Yeah, he was. He, he got a pressure, I think, at one point. So <laughs> there you go. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow. All right, see you guys tomorrow. You are Locked On Falcon, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Too many former Falcons made plays yesterday. Man, Hester. Hester almost single-handedly ruined our dreams. Yo, good thing he's retiring. <laughs> oh, after watching Eric Weems, I would not mind if he wanted to go play for land next Sunday. What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.